Welcome to the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, the untold stories of the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community. I'm your host, Guru Nishan, and I started this podcast several years ago with several intentions in mind, and we always read them at the beginning of every episode. Um, if you haven't yet, please rate and review this podcast and please share it with a friend. It does help our ratings, and there are so many people that are still needing to listen to people's stories, so please share away. If you haven't heard, you, I also started a new podcast called Uncomfortable Conversations on predatory patterns in business, community, and culture, and you can learn more in the show notes on my media platform called Conversations You Can Feel. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We appreciate your listening support. Number one. To break the veil of silence that is long permeated and continues to strangle the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community in the name of neutrality. Number two, to validate and help clarify the complex feelings of those who have joined this lifestyle, were born and raised into it, and or who have practiced or taught Kundalini Yoga. Number three, to encourage active listening to uncomfortable conversations from this community as a revolutionary act of self and collective healing. Number four, to let survivors know that we see them, we believe them, we love them, and we will fight for their truth to be addressed. Number five, to let teachers who are denying, gaslighting, or spiritually bypassing know that what they are doing is willfully ignorant and re-traumatizing to victims. Number six, to illuminate the inherent racism, homophobia, cultural appropriation, and exploitation that perpetuates the teachings, the 3HO lifestyle, and the overall community ethos. Number seven, to stop the perpetuation of gaslighting and victim shaming by naming it for what it is. Number eight, to dismantle internalized shame, guilt, toxic positivity, and light washing mentality. Number nine, to honor all of the parts of ourselves that have been forgotten or silenced. Number 10, to honor each and every body that has come through this community, both named and unnamed. And number 11, to encourage people to do their own research, to process their own emotions, to get somatic therapy and cult-specific therapy, as well as other support as needed, to draw your own conclusions, and to learn to be critical thinkers rather than to just blindly follow anyone. Please remember that your story matters and please share it when you're ready. We're here to listen and to support you. I wanna to welcome today's guest. His name is Siri Whitecrow. He was born Elias Seneca Whitecrow in 1972 in Juneau, Alaska. His mom, Satguru Carr, joined 3HO with his older sister, Siri Carr, in 1976 and his name was changed to Siri Singh Khalsa. His early life was spent between two different ashrams in Anchorage, Alaska. Then in 1979, he was sent to Española, New Mexico at seven years old, living with two different families. 
1981, he was sent to the newly not yet established India program GNFC, initially being sent to the girls' school because he was so young and only in third grade. After four years in India and tons of horrific abuse and plenty of resistance back, he was kicked out of that school and sent back to the United States of America. He spent half a year at Amritsar Academy in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where he was eventually asked to not return. He ended up in Los Angeles near his mom and close to the ashram. But by 1988, he left 3HO, Sikh Dharma, Kundalini Yoga completely, never to look back. Graffiti became a huge part of his life and currently still is. His graffiti name is Anger, and he runs one of the biggest graffiti crews in the world, which began in 1993 when his life was forever altered, when his mentor was hit by a train, and he was shot four times by a Los Angeles police officer. He currently lives in Los Angeles, is married with two boys, and continues to navigate his life through art and creativity. You can learn more about him and his graffiti crew by supporting his work and watching the documentary Can't Be Stopped on Amazon. Siri. It is a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I know it's taken a while to get us all set up and going, but I'm super happy to be here and I'm super um, stoked to kind of tap into those memories that I have. Um, so let's get the show on the road. <laughs> let's do this. Oh, um, yeah. I always I always like to just start and just say, why do you feel it's important to to share your story? I mean, storytelling is how we all got here. You know what I mean? I'm, I, I feel geeked out on um, learning about, I just learned about um, a lot of, my grandma was here, she's 96 years old, and I got pictures and learned a bunch about her side of the family, which I didn't know. And so I think if, the more if you want to know about yourself, you got to find out all those components that make up who you are, you know? So um, being a Sikh was a, a large component of who I was um, early on in my life. Um, obviously joining when I was four years old. Um, it was normal at the time to be part of the religion. Um, and then now to tell the story about it and just all the all the buzz around it, you know, um, it sort of makes me sad for the religion itself because, and not the not Yogi Bhajan and not you know anybody, just just like like just because of the old history of it all, you know, and like like Guru Gobind Singh or like. Guru Nanak or something like that. Like they don't deserve this type of like disrespect, right? I mean, truth. Yeah, like they they fought like what that guy like fought with his head off or something like that. Like I, I don't know. Like I remember the something stories, the stories, some stories, right? Um, so that's, I think, I think it's important to tell the story because I think there's been a large, uh population of American Sikhs that disrespected the Indian religion and um, that needs to be talked about, you know, and how do you share stories is through history, through written word, through, and now through podcasts, you know? So, so true. Yeah. 
I think so it's well important. And, and I don't, and I don't, I mean, like I talked about, um, and you introduced me as anger and I usually, I usually talk in that tense, you know what I mean? And, and I think I, the reason that I talk in that tense was a, I say to people that it was like a shield and a sword at the same time. And it, I picked that name to because it was the, the headspace that I was in when I came to Los Angeles after after um, going through all the trials and tribulations that I went through. I was just an angry fucking kid, you know, and I was and I was I was pissed off and kind of dropped in a war zone in Los Angeles, which was um, yeah part of the rest of my story. You that's know, right, that's right. So I'm going to pause you because you're jumping right to the anger part, which I love because when I heard yep. your graffiti name, I was like, fuck yeah. You know, yeah. like, of yeah. course, we grew up in such a culture that um, <laughs> repressed our, our yes. you know, fundamental emotions, but much less an anger emotion that lets us create. So um, and yep. feel so take us back. So uh, your bio obviously tells us that your mom joined. So here you are um, <clears throat> in Alaska living with your mom and sister. Yeah. Um, so we were born in Juneau. Um, my mom was 20 years old when she had me. Um, my sister was uh, maybe three years older than me. Okay. Um, but my sister was my half. I learned later on, like I learned in India, that she was my half sister because my dad, my mom. Here we go. This right. meeting is being recorded. So my mom uh, had me with my dad, and then my dad had my sister with another woman. My dad and the other woman were negligent parents. And my mom is a fucking saint. So she started taking care of my sister and just felt like she needed to be loved and cared for. And eventually the state of Alaska gave her, um, gave her, um, custody of both of you custody. Sorry. Yeah. She gave custody to my mom, which was abnormal that the two parents wouldn't, but they were like, they didn't like show up in court and stuff like that. And they were just never there. And my dad was like, a, my dad was a tugboat guy working on the docks and i think he just was like a he just had that um that gene that cheating gene you know that like philandering you know and i think he was drinking a lot and um probably not the best role model right for for me to have in my life mm -hmm. and he wouldn't be in my life for a long time because um we moved from Juneau, Alaska up to Anchorage, Alaska, and my mom started getting into yoga. And then um, she ended up joining the religion in 76. And that's when everything kind of changed, right? Like I got this new name and I was um, calling my sister Siri, but I was named Siri, you know, it was just a weird, it was interesting it wasn't weird, but I was, I was, my mom was like a, she was a hippie and she, she, she took us out to like, and we lived on a hippie commune in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
we just lived like a kind of bohemian lifestyle. We, um, my dad didn't, uh, I think we lived in a house in Juneau that didn't have any electricity and we were just kind of squatting there is what my mom said. Um, and I think my mom didn't have the stability from my father. And so I think she kind of found something new and interesting in the Sikh religion. Mm-hmm. And that's just what I've gotten from conversations with her, you know, and I think that I think that was like a time where people were having big awakenings. And I think when people were having big awakenings, it was a perfect time for predatory <laughs> activities. <laughs> I mean, it seems like, you know, Yogi Bhajan wasn't the only guy using religion as a guise, right? Um, <clears throat> so I started going to, um, I started, go- we started going to the ashram a lot and I, I it was, it was kind of cool for a little while to have like people around all the time, you know, like just, there was a lot of good, I think there was a lot of good, there were a lot of good Sikhs, you know what I mean? There was like good people, you know, and, and, uh, and they were practicing whole foods and eating together and kind of like family like things. Correct. It was, it was a, there was like this, this time period kind of like probably right when I first joined and was there for a little while but i think you know some of the things that happened with that my dad wasn't around um that pissed him off and then he ended up one day grabbing like i lived right down the street from the ashram and he he grabbed me from the window and kidnapped me and took me for like two three days right and um i think that along with that i had i had um i had gone through some sexual abuse just prior to when he kidnapped me i think at the ashram right. or separate from the ashram it was separate from the ashram i was living at the ashram and i had a friend or a kid a neighborhood kid that i had befriended and i went over to his house and there was um some a big brother that took advantage of me and um you know I was I was super young when that all happened, so I, I kind of feel like it was like a, a bottleneck in my life, you know. Like I was just dealing with abuse, that abuse, and then um, dealing with my dad kind of being around and him pulling off the kidnapping maneuver. Um, I, my mom, I, I'm pretty sure my mom kind of asked somebody, or maybe asked Yogi Bhajan, like what what she should do. And his suggestion was to send me down to um, live with another family in Española at Hacienda. What was it called? Hacienda. Maybe Guru Ramdas, maybe? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, Question, was Um, your sister there? Was he just kidnapping you, but not her? Or was she already sent away? I think I was the I was the smallest available. I was in the window. The window. <laughs> yeah, I think I was in the window at the time. Got it. You got know, it. So and I was your up. sister was in Alaska when you got sent. Correct. Got it. Okay. And then, so correct. Going. And then she came down to New Mexico. Like I feel like it was like a half a year later. She was and also she lived sent with away. An, yeah. So she lived with another family on that compound. 
And then I lived with another two different families in my time there. And then they had like a little school on that compound where we, um, where we all went to school. There, there was a school across the street, but no, we we didn't go to the public school. We went to a like they created their own school atmosphere on their on the compound. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, so, do you remember living guess, in New Mexico? I, 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 it, it was a, it was a weird thing being away from my mom. I mean, she came to see me there, but I was like, I didn't understand why, like, I was living with new, new people, you know. And even though, like, I, I went about my day um, and just trudged along, I, I was always like, like, why am I here? You know what I mean? Like, why aren't I connected with my mom? Like, this isn't this isn't normal. You know, but then like the the talk about India started coming up and there was kids that were I was friends with and older kids and people were just starting to say that, you know, kids were going to be going to India. And then it's that sounded exciting. It sounded adventurous. And um, I probably was like on board at first, you know. Um, so in 1981, um we were sent out there i think we were like the second group of people to be out there there was like a a little pilot program before us of um a few uh i think it was like four or five people had gone out before us and then we were like a bigger contingency so um i ended up going to the girls school um for the first half year can I yes. pause you real quick um, before uh-huh. we jump to India? Do you recall your time in New Mexico or is it just kind of that, just the hazy kind of like, where's my mom? And I'm kind of going about it. Or do you actually remember the families and like things that happened at school? I remember there? some things. I remember, um, are we still being recorded? Uh-huh. Okay, cool. Um, I remember one instant instance where me and this other kid were singing uh pink floyd song and uh we i was it was we don't need no education we don't need that right that song and i think we were singing it out loud and he like took he was like pissed that we did that and he was like a head dude so he like he like chained us to a fence you know yeah like that was like one of the like I don't remember a lot of like weird shit in New Mexico. If there was stuff, I don't remember. It wasn't too. It, it wasn't as big as what had already happened to me in Alaska, right? Sure. Like that was pretty. To compare it you know, to right. Yeah. So I mean, um, it's just that your mom's not there, so it's just kind yeah, of my like, mom. Yeah, my mom's on? not there, so I don't I, like. I'm always like, I'm like I'm living with this family, yeah. and there's like another kid living in the house with me, and it's like. I mean, I guess it's kind of adventurous and I've already kind of lived that type of lifestyle because, you know, it was like the 70s. Yeah, (laughs) squatting and and just not having, you know, not having a lot of means. I mean, my mom was a young mom and I think she was just trying to do shit on her own and trying to do the best that she could. And she probably latched on to something that felt really great in the Sikh religion. And, um, as we know, you know, that led to where we are today, which is, you know, um, 
with all the anyways. So, yeah, so, yeah, um, so. I don't okay, remember. So 1981, yeah, 1981. Yeah, I don't remember too much of of New Mexico. Just you know, going to school on their compound, living with a couple different families. That weird situation where you know I wasn't allowed to sing Pink Floyd. Like what the fuck, you know. <laughs> um, and then um, 1981, we head out to uh, India. It was really great initially that I was able to have my sister there at least, you know, that was like one of the cool things that I always was like, man, it could have been a little bit, a lot different, you know, um, not that bad things didn't start happening over at the boys school, but <clears throat> I think I was already fucking a terror when I was at the girls school. Like I was always like getting into trouble, you know, and just, that was like one of my, that was like a MO for me, you know? And so, so from I think the moment in, you're arriving in India, like you already had um, a ferocity of not enjoyment or was it just kind of like slowly you settled in and realized what India was, was going to be like. And this just became your, way I think, about it. I think, I mean, I was, I got, I went out there was like nine or 10, nine years old. Right. And I think, um, I think the looking back on it and, and, um, looking at the the trauma that I had already been through up to that point, I think I just started to develop being angry. I, I was I was starting to be pissed off that I was in a situation that I couldn't get out of. I couldn't I couldn't convince my mom in any type of words that I had in my vocabulary at that time to 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 bring me home. You know, um, I mean, that's that's what I ultimately started to write to her, you know, because, you know, I went from not not trying to jump too far ahead, but I I went from being over at the girls school, which was kind of cool because my sister was there. At least I had the family, a, a family member nearby. But then I just remember, like, I think it was even that like winter or whatever. It just uh, like when when all the when the girls and the boys all got together. I think we were staying the winter up in the up in the girls' school or something like that. And it was just um, I think there was like the different ages so you of kids, and so you had like big kids, little kids, littler than little kids, you know, medium kids, whatever, you know, like they uh, almost like it was almost like they. Uh, everybody dropped off into tribes, you know? And then um, it was almost Lord of the Flies type of deal, right? Because everybody started criticizing each other and, you know, older people, older kids would start thinking that they had the power to um, green light little kids, you know? And, and you know, because we weren't bathing, you know? Um, because, you know, whatever, we weren't um, falling in line the way that we were supposed to. Um, and I just remember, like, there was, like, a time, like, it was, I remember, like, getting into my first fight with, like, an older kid or getting beat up, like, that time. And, like, I think we got hosed down because we were not taking showers. And um, that's not really a good way to develop a kid's psyche. You know what I mean? Or to and teach them hygiene, right? Neither. No, one. not at all. Not at all. I mean, I got fucked. Little kids. I got like because a large 
reason why I fucking pay a lot of money for my teeth is because I spent time in India, you know? Um, and I, that four years was like, it was bad on my, on my, I mean, just, Mouth, I remember, no I remember dentistry. Well, I just re like, <clears throat> I'm not going to blame it all on India, but I, man, I didn't brush my, there was times that I didn't brush my teeth for months, you know, no, I didn't take baths for months. Um, so, um, I get over to the boys school. Can I, I ask you up. about the girls school real quick before you uh -huh. go ahead. When you mm -hmm. arrived at the girls' school, was it that all the little kids, like the the five, six, seven, eight year olds, were at the girls' school because they didn't have enough kids to have them at the boys' school mm -hmm. and to separate them? Like I'm trying to understand why. The I think it was like started. kinder kindergarten to third grade was at the girls' school. Fourth wow. grade to tenth grade was at the boys' school. Got it. So your initial living with <clears> the <throat> other age group in that kindergarten to third grade group. You're living with kind of right. that hierarchy of ages, but then you're the older girls, which are going to be fourth grade and up, right? Of the girls yep. all the way up to whatever high school ages are there, including yep. your sister, um, are yep. in the girls' school, but they're obviously going to their age classes, right? So Correct. you see her around. It's not like you're living in the dorms together. You're still living in the dorms with the other kids of the kindergarten to, to and, and in the boys in a boys' dorm compared a to a girls' dorm. dorm. In yeah. this, in over at the girls' school. In the girls' school, correct. Right. And there were other kids that were five years old, six years old, and seven years old, and eight years old, right? So all of you of that age group from all of the kids around the world were there at the girls' exactly. school. Exactly. Got it. And then exactly. the older girls, so the girls and boys' school were separate. And then <laughs> GNFC was basically fourth grade up. So 10 years old and right. Or so yep. with GNFC. So then basically you're a 10 year old interacting with some of those inner high school age boys. And this is where you start talking about like the little ones are getting hosed down or stuff like this, because now you're around a whole hierarchy of older boys too. Right? Well, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, a, I would love to be a fly on the wall to know how, you know, how things got, how the structure got put together. But it, you know, how I remember is there was a few older, you know, adults that took care of us. One of them was this guy, Nanak Dev. Um, and then the other guys, I, I, I want to say his name was Kirtan Singh or something like that. And they came with their families and all that stuff. Um, <clears throat> and I don't know. I think, I think, I think Nanak Dev would probably be a, a key component to how the structure got put together. I wasn't and asking I, how the structure, but more just so that we could hear it. So that when you say you transition to the boys school, we have a sense of what that means, meaning <sighs> there's older. So that's all I was saying it out loud was that from fourth, basically 10 years old and up anybody there that was from 10 to say 15, 16, 17 are now over at GN GNFC. Correct. Yeah. So, um, I joined up with the Nalwa house. Everybody, you know, had a separate house they were in. There was the Atari house, the Nalwa house, and I forgot the other one. And then I think they added a fourth one while I was there. Um, and um, the structure, you know, was like, you know, like I said, like the big kids, little kids, 
And then people were, you know, there was guys that were supposed to look after you that were in your house. And then there was, um, there was everything that happened during school. And then there was all the, you know, there was also the three months out of the year that we wouldn't be in school and we would go down and travel to the plains and stuff like that. And that's, um, those were a lot of, there's a lot of good learning times, you know, there was a lot of, um, it wasn't all bad. I mean, one of the, you know, one of the, one of the things we did, um, there was like these wrestling matches that they would put out there and it was like girls versus boys or girl versus boy, right? Girls versus boy. Yeah. So it would start out like three girls versus a guy wrestling and then they would throw like another girl in there and it would be like, eventually it would be like six girls, eight girls, 10 girls trying to wrestle a guy. Um, I always took away from that, how strong a man is, you know, and um, it's always resonated with me to, to treasure women. You know what I mean? Like they're one of the, like the best things in my life to have around because um I'm somebody that needs a lot of redirecting and and um and confirmation and and women the women that I have in my life and the women that I surround myself with that's just like one of the most powerful things. So, you know, the things that weren't cool about being in India is <clears throat> there was well for me my headmaster was a drunk and then I was a bad kid and then that ended up leading to me getting caned a lot. And so I almost became like a whipping boy in that sort of sense. I would always, you know, whether I did something right or wrong, I would always be in the wrong because I was always getting caned. And that was I mean, it's degrading. You're like, sometimes you're getting caned in front of your whole house. You know what I mean? Everybody in your, you know, where you're sleeping, your quarters or whatever. Sometimes you're getting caned in front of people at the dining room table, you know, Sometimes, you know, there was just, they just had a way of demeaning, being demeaning to you. Um, I dealt with a lot of abuse from just, you know, every, like, if you didn't answer something the right way, they would take the rulers to your hands. Um, So there was a lot of abuse from the people that were working at the school that weren't um, part of the 3HO scenery right indian staff the indian yeah but um you know that dude nanak dev he really just got to be a power monger he started practicing gutka and he just became this like he just became a fucking dick you know and he really like pressed his power in the wrong direction and i don't think there was anybody that was like a good cop it was always bad cop you know and then he had um he had his dude uh searing the wrong car that was like his enforcer right and he was the one that was well fuck my sister dated him for a little while i remember that so i ended up i ended up being like his little brother or something like that and i just he was he was an asshole back then um and i yeah 
I didn't like him a lot. And I, I ended up, um, I mean, I ended up getting probably slapped up by him a lot, physically abused by him a few mm -hmm. times, you know, I don't, you know, but there were some cool uh, older kids too. And uh, one of them, as I said to you, was your um, brother, right? Prob a joke. Yeah, yeah. He was he was always one of the chill, mellow ones. He was never like like maniacal and trying to like trick you into things. You know, he was always a straight straight shooter. You know, that's what I remember. Um, and there was a lot. You know, like it was sad because like by the end of my stay there, you know, like. I mean, going like I had started like I started abusing other kids, and that's uh, right. Mangala Sadhu Sangeet Singh, right, which was you're related to, he's, right? He's also, my brother, yeah, my youngest. Brother. Yeah, so weird, married. right? Um, I took a scrub brush to his face, and it was um, it was probably the last time that I that I let myself be that week of a man right like i i realized after that that i was because of my size and and my stature that i was i was put on this earth to be a protector um i actually apologized to to him later on through social media i was able to get a hold of him and and tell him i you know how sorry i was that that happened you know and that <clears throat> i think for me, it was like a big snowball of uh, emotions, abuse, trauma, all wrapped up, you know, and um, I started doing, when I started doing that to him, they saw the signs and they like, they got, got rid of me. They kicked me out of India. Um, but by that time they had kind of built me into the person that I was going to become, you know, um, so it sounds like I you ever... had direct beating from the Indian staff, the head teacher, the head uh, master, and then also Correct. within the network of the people that are supposed to overlook the 3HO group, it's Nanak Dev, the enforcer, Sir Ankar, they're yep. both beating up on you in whatever capacities, whether it's the all the ways caning, but other, other forms of abuse, right? Yeah, the I don't think, you know, amongst the, I don't think the caning was more like a, a an Indian thing, you know, mm -hmm. like but there was weird shit like, you know, you would do sad sadna and and if you fell asleep, then you would have to go and jump in the fucking cold ass pool because you were falling asleep. But it's like it's fucking three or four in the morning. Mm -hmm. I understand we're trying to build ourselves up to be better like yogis, but like I'm fucking tired, you know, and I shouldn't have to go yes. do that. And like, you know, there was dudes that like got stoned like people threw rocks at them because they fucked up and did something bad you know what i mean that's not supposed to be the way of the world you know that's too lord of the flies we're getting too um we're becoming the judge jury and ex executioners you know and what kind of world do you have that's a dystopia at that point you know mm -hmm. you have a bunch of you have you have the wrong people trying to teach the right thing in the wrong way. Absolutely. That's how I would put it, you know? And um, I just had, I had had enough of Siri Narankar. I had enough of Nanak Dev. I had enough of 
getting into fights with other dudes and just the, there was just like, it was just, uh, I mean, it's just no, a lot of it, just normal teenage shit. You know what I mean? A lot of it's just, you know, guys are, are, are always, um, are always going through pissing contest, you know, So there's it, kind of that, but within the context of not having enough food, not actually having proper care, not actually having love and attention, not having real basic things that that most children are getting outside of the right. school setting so right while there might be some elements of like boys will be boys it's it's hyper vigilant on top of all the neglect that everyone's experiencing right of all ages. Well, because everybody's there everybody's there and probably confused why they're there they don't nobody's understanding the concept and nobody has control over their own lives nobody's choosing to wear what they're wearing, it's all putting, being put in front of you. You're going to wear these shoes. You're going to wear these socks. You're going to put on this. We like, you know, like even if we didn't have to wear the uniform that they required us for the school, then we had to wear <clears throat> like kurtas and cheery dars and you know what I mean? Like the regular Sikh shit. And it was like always wearing your turban. Ah, yeah. I don't know. Like, <clears throat> you know, I started. <clears throat> one of the things that came out of India is there was two guys that were, had brought their skateboards. One of them was the oldest kid. He was like the, a cool guy. This one guy, actually there was this other dude, Ditta. He was pretty cool. And he, and he was a good artist. I remember him always doing, um, uh, he was always drawing, um, he was into heavy metal and he always drew uh, really cool canvases. Anyways, um, him and they brought their skateboards and then that inspired other people to get into skating. And then um, at the boys school, there really wasn't anywhere to skate. You had to kind of skate in the gym. That was like the only place it was like flat surfaced. And so we would all ride our moms and get our skateboards sent to us. And then we would try to get skating magazines sent to us. So we, you know, Thrasher magazine, trans world skate magazine. And then um, we would just try to learn how to do tricks from looking at the magazines. And um, so that's one of the things like that I took from India and, and it kept with me is like, I, I learned a lot about the music that I liked. You know, like I became a metalhead because a lot of the dudes were listening to um, Metallica, Iron Maiden, um, Dio, Black Sabbath, all those type of bands. And I really was attracted to that type of music. I know there was like, you know, other people like Bruce Springsteen and Cars and this and that. And so that was really a cool thing. I remember like there was like tape trading from other people that were at other schools there was like older kids that were like trading music and like they were like there was like another school called woodstock i think it was and like there was a lot of um other kids from the united states and i think people from other countries that were going to that school and then there was another school that like there was a teacher that was like a white teacher there or something like that and he was into music and so i remember like talking to older kids and they were like, Oh yeah, we're trading music. And I gave him a bunch of my tapes and then he gave me a bunch of this new tapes. And it was like, that's fucking kind of cool. That was like, 
way, way before internet, you know, and like people were just fight, like up on the side of a mountain in the Himalayas. They were trying to figure out how to um, how to have music, and then you were you could eventually learn how to um, record tapes, you know, and you would cover and you would start recording the music, and that was like a that was like a big thing to have recorded music from other people and and have a good list of music. I mean, and that's even put to this day, you know? And so <clears throat> I took that music part of that with me and the skating part of that with me. And I ended up getting flown back to Los Angeles for a quick brief moment and then going to school in Albuquerque, New Mexico at the Amritsar Academy. Yeah, so can um, I just pause you real quick you and just because again, really, as listeners, we really want to get a feeling for what it was like in India. The things like you wrap it up fast, kind of saying, uh, you know, I I was, you know, I was just angry, and of course, I responded in these ways. But I'm wondering right. if there's just anything more you want to give us a lens mm -hmm. into. I know that um, whether it's the food or whether it's like how you washed, learned to wash your clothes or didn't, or just how you became like what I'm hearing you say is. You went over young those first few months when you were over the girls school it was it was a good transition because your sister was there but then it just right. got steadily more and more intense and more and more abusive and then you developed a persona back to that had less and less tolerance to deal with it all the way up until you had where you became the predator to other young boys including mangala and that's a beautiful wrap up, but I also know you had lots of experiences that kind of built to these things. And I'm just wondering if there's anything more you want to give us a lens into. Um, no, I mean, there's tons of experiences that I had that kind of reflect on who I am today. I mean, uh, one of the cool experiences that I had was uh, when we lived in Rishikesh, or, or going back all the way to Española, and I was telling somebody this story the other day, um, I always wanted to have a dog. And I could never have one because it's just the way that I was living my life, right? Like, But like right in the where I lived in the ashram compound area, whatever, somebody had a dog and they were having puppies. And I told my mom that they said I could have a dog. And my mom was like, oh, you can't have a dog. Like, you're not... You know, I was like about to go to India or something like that. And I was like, come on, I'm already, I know which one I want. I'm going to name it Bear, you know, like that one. That's the one I want, mom. And she's like, nah, 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 you're not going to have a dog. And so I took off to India. And um, one winter we were down in Rishikesh and a dog started coming around and hanging out with us. And everybody kind of adopted her. Um, and gave her food and stuff like that. And so she started to chill with us and like, she became like our mascot sort of. And then I, I took care of the dog. Right. Um, I fed it, all that stuff. And the dog was pregnant. And so the dog had puppies, all the puppies died. And we ended up like putting them in shoe boxes and sending them down the Ganges river. Um, bear ended up coming back with us to uh gnfc and um when we were up there somebody was like hey you got to get rid of her like you can't because it was school time we we had to 
you know, go back into school. And I was like, what? Like, and they were like, yeah, you got to take her way somewhere and go tie her up. Like they told me where to take her and like, or like whatever. I ended up riding this bike with her on a leash and I tied her up at this, uh, on this tree and there was like a little village nearby. So I was like, oh, maybe like they'll, you know, I don't know. She had like a chance, you know what I mean? Oh, fuck you. In the middle of the Himalayas and you want to give love to a dog and you got to like, you know, it's not, it's not going to work out, you know? Anyways, I rode my bike all the way back. And when I get back to the school, the dog's waiting for me. I don't I, I don't know how it beat me. I mean, you know, you have to there's a lot of switchbacks to to get to back to the school. And I don't know how she if she like beelined it and just went through the forest, but she was back at the school when I got back there. Um wow. I'm such an animal person now, you know what I mean? It transferred so big into my life. Um I ended up my first girlfriend when I moved to Los Angeles, they were a big dog cat family and then ever since then my my life has always been dogs and cats and it's a big reason me and my wife are together we're we're just big animal people you know um so that was that was a cool story to take away from there um you know at the end there was like a weird like some of my i think i was just maybe i was a I don't know if it was because I was a dick to your brother. I don't know if it was because I stopped like hanging out with like the cool little kids. I, I, I still want to know like why, like they all jumped me. They all beat me up, you know? Who did? Yeah. All the little kids? All the little kids. It was like this, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to name names, you know what I mean? But like it was a bunch of kids that were my friends, you know, like a little while ago. And like, you know, I, the details are hazy in my mind on why, but I just remember getting, you know, all of a sudden, like people that were my friends for the last, you know, handful of years or so, because I knew some of those kids even going back to New Mexico, I think. Anyways, um, it was probably going to, it was the first time I got jumped by some, by some people. And it probably wasn't, it wasn't going to be the last time I was introduced to violence, you know? Um, so that was kind of weird. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, and I mean, were you already bullying on others at that time? And that was kind of like a retaliation or was that kind of more a part of what built up your bullying towards others? It might've might been, it might've been a little bit of that. It might've been that I, I think it was more that I was not, um, I think it, you know, the, how I remember it is just that I was kind of, I was separating myself from all the little kids that, and they had their cool guy, you know, group and their hierarchy within that group. Right. Cause there was that with the little kids, there was that with the middle kids, there was that with the older kids, you know, there was the couple cool kids that got to like be, you know, social directors sort of people, you know, and there was um, other people that weren't as inclined um so yeah i think it was i think the i think they could have used somebody that just had a lot more humility and a lot more you know wherewithal on how to bring people together in a better way 
Uh, Nonactive was not the right guy at the at, at that time. Um, I think the other guy that was there, I don't think he was a strong enough leader. And um, yeah, I think that was like some some of the weakest things that happened that, or one of the biggest glaring weak points was that they didn't, but that wasn't, I mean, that was, wasn't what the Sikh religion was about. You know what I mean? Like sending their best guy to give the best advice and to, you know, mold and, you know, create strong young men. I, I I think that was a guise that they wanted us to believe, but I, you know, I, yeah, and I needing think... something truth, something truthful to actually latch on to in a whole world that's been fabricated. Well, we all know that Yogi Bhajan was all about making money. Yep, he was all about money fucking laundering all the industry, all all the crappy things that he was. Uh, he was just a crappy human being. It ends up, you know, um, I was, you know. I ended up after India and after my experience at Amritsar Academy. Uh, so you I, get I just... kicked out. Hold on. Nope. You get kicked yeah, yeah, out yeah. of Go India. Ahead. Go ahead. They send uh -huh. you back to New Mexico as if you're going to be rehabilitated at the Amritsar Academy because that's where the kids that are not going to India go if they're in New Correct. Mexico. And yeah. How long are you at Amritsar Academy? Maybe six months? Maybe a half a year. Yeah, but I did. I hooked up with my first girlfriend there, so that was rad. She wasn't a Sikh. <laughs> that was rad, you know. Um, and you know, I yeah, started. Sm I smoked my first cigarette when I was there. I, I did, you know, like there was a couple. There was this guy Jai Dev that uh, was in India, and he had was living there, and he had cut his hair, and he was, you know, like running around partying and. Um, there was other dudes that were going to Amritsar Academy and they weren't quite Sikhs, you know, and they were like into metal and, and just, you know, at that time everybody liked to go to concerts and people were experimenting with fucking alcohol and weed and smoking cigarettes for their first time. Or we were going to the bowling alley and drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes, feeling like we were outlaws, you know? <laughs> and, um, I kept skateboarding with me. I didn't skate a whole lot when I was out there, but I still skated. Uh, that was like my, what I identified as I was a skater metalhead. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't think I, I think I just had a lot of, um, I, I wouldn't say it was everybody else's fault where I was, I was just pissed, you know? And, and I, I think I was, I've always been a person that I speak my mind when I'm pissed. I don't let it just brew in me and like hold it in. And, um, and that was totally not the Dharmic way. Yeah, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't, you, you were supposed to be more subservient and more quiet and just go about your shit, you know? And, and also I was more... neutral. You weren't supposed to actually have emotions and feel right. anything or want something else or have an opinion of your own. And it sounds like you had plenty of those. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, you know, I, I think I, you know, I think I owe a lot of that to, uh, to skateboarding and music. You know, because skateboarding and music was molding me at that time. And I was looking at I was looking at 
Thrasher magazine and looking at all the graffiti in the background. And um, I even like, I think back then, I think like I had a little tag name and I was trying to like write like how people were writing in the magazines when I was already in India. Like I was like, cause my grandfather was an artist and he had really good handwriting in a way that I, uh, a way that I would try to like soothe myself was that I would make these little books. I would take regular paper and I would fold it and cut it. And then I would fold it again. And then I would put something through it to make it like into a small book. And then I would, I would try to emulate my grandfather's writing because he had it like perfect handwriting and I really liked his handwriting. It was like, uh, it was so neat, you know, it was so perfect. And when he would write me a letter, I would be like, Oh wow. How does he keep the line so straight? You know? And because it was like a regular piece of paper. I mean, I learned later that he was putting pencil in there and then he was erasing it, you know, <laughs> right. To get them all straight. But as, as a little kid, you were just like, man, my grandfather's the best. Like he's the, he was an aviation enthusiast and he was just a dope artist and he was like my um because my dad was absent in my life he was like my the guy that i looked up to you know mm-hmm. um so that was one of the main the 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 things that i did to kind of when i would feel homesick you know what i mean i would make these little books and i i don't remember what i was writing in it but i was writing something Maybe uh, maybe it was emotion. Maybe it was stories. I can't remember what it was, but I was. Um, it was. Uh, I think it was a. Um, it was what I kind of got into, you know. Mm-hmm. Like it was like. Right, was you're writing, like, right? Your own learning, yeah, writing. Like, like I've been mean, writing letters and ta- you know, it's yeah, it's it's interesting. The tagging and 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 graffiti oh. and writing on things and art and um, and, and hold on, being creative. I know you're going to bring us there, but I want to bring us back real quick because you're between you're at Amritsar Academy. Um, Yes. I want to go back to India because I know your sister a little bit and our families and brothers and these types of things are are connected. Yep. I know your mom did go to India during that one of those holiday interims or something. And I'm curious if you were there at that time. Yeah, no, I was there. She came. I, I felt like she didn't come as many times as she said, but she said she came like three or four times while I was there in India. Um, one of the times she, t- I remember your brother got a hole through his leg I from somebody doing a rat's tail on him and my mom took care of him and healed him, healed him back to life. <laughs> Which it sounds like would not have happened if she weren't there. So he's been, very, I know. Very yeah. She was like the, but still like, I remember, like, I remember my mom being there and we were in Rishikesh and I fell asleep at something happened at yoga in the morning and then, like, I ended up, like, having to stand in a circle, like, and not move for, like, hours and hours and hours, like, and my mom was there, and I was like, I was like, mom, like, you can't get me out of this? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> I, I don't know, like, you know. Um, treatment, don't you think so? <laughs> you know, I don't like to, I don't want to give, look, whatever we went through in India was super terrible, it wasn't supposed to happen the way that it went down, but it really fucking helped build some solid individuals. You know, like I don't know everybody that, you know, that 
I don't know everybody like maybe like my sister does, but I can just imagine that like the way that I feel about life and the way that I feel like my feet are planted in this earth and that I have a purpose and a reason to be here. I think that religion and those experiences, although they were bad, they also just built really solid people, you know, because you and have to I go through those... solid bonds. Um, Correct. More than that, even right. Like, cause we all Correct. have to go back and look at ourselves through new lenses and that can be tough because we have to examine traumas and things that we might oh, yeah. have just not examined. Uh, oh, but yeah. I don't disagree with you, right? It creates solid bonds and uh, resilience, but it's, it's not, it's somewhere in there. Like it, it makes us who we are is what I hear you say. It's oh, for sure. Who you are. For and sure. I appreciate what I want to give you though, is I want to give you the, the, the light back on that and say, right. you've done that. Those experiences yeah. didn't do that. Your willingness to continue leading your life and finding your path and finding your purpose and letting circumstances change you. So yep. Rather than give that power to that, those circumstances, you've had circumstances, whether it was in India and you had that moment where you were just like, this is not the man I want to be. And the rest of your life, you had a new direction, even if that was a seed planted that didn't actually come to manifest 10 or so years later, but it yes. gave you that sense of the shaping of who you are as a protector. And that's powerful, Siri. That's your yep. healing work and your creative healing that you've alchemized and brought that there's plenty Thank of you. us that have gone through shit and are here and hold all that shit inside. Still, we don't have that outlet for it yet because we haven't even acknowledged the anger we hold. Right. So I want to just give that back again. You started feeling your anger young, which is more than a lot of us. And you got kicked out of places yeah. for it and you got beat up for it. You got lots of other things, but that was a, I see that as a very healthy part of you coming to your own. Yes. Yep. And it was, you know, I mean, you know, the, the, the things that we went through and the people that we became, I think we also, I, I mean, I saw, I sought out to have good people around me after that, you know, and I sought out, like I was just able to land, land and be around some people that were just carrying good, solid people. I mean, my first, my first girlfriend, in the early nineties, I was still kind of like involved in the religion a little bit. I had, uh, Oh shit. That's right. So I had, I had gotten, I was, I was, I was involved in some gangster type activities. Let's did just this happen from Amritsar to LA or did it start happening in New Mexico? In when I was in LA after, after being in Amritsar, I got back to LA. Um, I got in my graffiti crew and then I got jumped into a gang. And then we had problems with another gang because this dude had gotten killed and we were doing, we were going back and forth. And then somebody called my house. Somebody called my house and threatened. They were like, we're going to kill your son. This and this. they talk shit to my mom. Right. And so my mom freaked out and she's like, reverts back to she's still in Sikh religion but I'm kind of like I'm wearing my hair down at this point you know like I'm got my hat on and like you know I'm I'm a total different dude at this Cholo point you know style? yeah yeah 
So, yeah, yeah, mo most definitely. And so I went back to uh, live in New Mexico. My mom lined me up like with a job with working with some guy and I learned how to drive his tractor. And then he let me drive his truck, which I ended up wrecking. And then I went up to, um, uh, um, what's that place? Ramdas Puri, the, um, where all the solstices were, were held. And I went up for like a survival camp. And then um, I remember I hooked up with this chick, Onkar. That was the one Sikh girl that I did hook up with. Right Thumbs on. up on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> you said thumbs up on that. <laughs> we were, yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna air our dirty laundry. We we were, uh, we were doing good things in weird places. Uh, let's say that. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, I was, after I was, she dropped me off to take the bus and I was, I took the bus up to Montana to Red Lodge. And on the way I learned about Stevie Ray Vaughan's passing. So that was like what, 19, 1990 or something like that, I think. Um, and so, uh. I ended up living living up there for a few weeks with my grandfather, and then I was gonna go and meet my dad for the first time, and he flaked on me. And so then it would be it wouldn't be for I wouldn't talk to him for like another seven so years till ninety seven, um, and then I ended up becoming friends with my dad after meeting him and we had a great relationship for the rest of his life and he passed away in 2020. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, yeah, that was a, a trippy story that, that I, it's a trip that my life got so hectic at one point that I got sent to New Mexico when I was nine years old. And then when I was, you know, had, I had to be like 19 or 18 or something like that. Like I got sent to New Mexico again. That was like my mom's like, go-to move, you know, like send him to Mexico. Everything's going to be much better when he goes out there. So, um, you know, I, I think, I mean, with all the going back to what I said in the beginning of our conversation about a religion that the Siri Singh Saab and other people just kind of trampled all over that, a good religion. You know, and that's where where I, I think I just I, I felt like I was like an early I had heard people leaving the religion like I like I remember hearing that like when I was in India, like, oh, yeah, that guy left the religion. It was like this big, big deal, you know, and like. Like, I just felt like it was so much there was so much bullshit. Like I, I and I, why why was I sniffing that out when I was so young, you know? Um, but I also had like a a shitty fucking time, you know? Like that was though like I had a shitty kind of. I don't think everybody's experience was like mine in the Sikh religion. Uh, I, I'm sure there's people kind of like it, 
but I don't think it would be, I, I think I would be an anomaly. And I think I came from, I think my abuse started early on, you know, and that, and that took me a long time to like admit, you know, like I, I hid that for years because I didn't want to let people know about my sexual abuse. I didn't want to believe that another man had his way with me. But once I went through enough therapy, you know what I mean? Uh, had my kids, went through more therapy, married the most beautiful, wonderful woman who's a works for DCFS as a social worker and just as like the mind for dealing with a character like me. Um, my life has been so wonderful. Like I've been uh, surrounded by great women that have just, and, and men and men also, but between my first girlfriend and this relationship, those are the two relationships that I like have had in my life that um, created just, it made me just more compassionate of a person. And even though I had like this, um, like everybody knows me for being anger and I have this, you know, story, which maybe you'll check out on the documentary and, you know, I get, I can admit that I get caught up in being a bad guy, but I'm, I always feel like I come from a good place. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, uh, I don't think I'm a bad guy in the sense of I'm trying to, um, trying to jack people and make people's lives shitty. I'm just, um, I think I'm one of those guys that would like, my buddy Scotty said it the best when he met me. He's like, he's like, you're one of those guys that, is down for that person or whoever it is like a hundred percent and you'll give everything. But like, if somebody crosses you one time, you're like, you'll write them off. And I'm like, he just had met me. He, had, he didn't know me really, but he like, you know, like within like a week or two, he was just like, Hey, like he's a uh, jujitsu trainer, you know? Mm -hmm. So he's a coach and he, I can't, he just had like this, way of looking at me and kind of judging me for who I was. And I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, that's kind of me. He's like, you're prideful. You got pride and you want people to, you know, treat you with respect and you're not going to back down to if people don't treat you with respect. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of me, you know? Yeah. And we've, you know, we're good friends up until this day. Um, I love that. So yeah, it was a, it was a windy twisty road especially the, the 12 years spent in the religion. Um, I want to um, ask you a little bit about yeah, that. So you yeah. end up in LA and yeah. um, it sounds like your mom is just trying to mitigate uh, your anger expression in a world that you don't belong in. And yet she's fully entrenched in the religion the whole time. So from, from you being sent to New Mexico early and then being sent to India and then back to New Mexico and then eventually to LA because she's there. What's going on with her all this time? And, and you may not know this, but curious because she's a single mom. She's obviously connected to the Dharma in some capacity. And you and your sister are both in India. So that's being funded in some capacity. Right. Um, well, I mean, when I got back, I mean, I think I, you know, early on getting back to Los Angeles, I, I skated for a little bit, didn't really get into trouble, but I started to get into trouble a lot. And I, 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 I was 
I got into a lot of like um, assaults when I was, you know, like I got in, like I, I ended up being that guy that would really go to some physical places. Um, and I, one of my first big things was that I, um, I beat up a cop in the mall out here and it was a big deal. It was on TV, all this shit. And so that was like early on in my career and that kind of, now, is this when you you're know, still like, a young person under your mom's I'm pretty young. I'm pretty young. My what? My mom is still in the religion, but I'm kind mm -hmm. of, I'm already out of it. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, we have, uh, we have our Thanksgiving and I, you know, I took off to the Beverly Center to hang out with my friends and, and uh, we ended up, there was, there was some guys that my, a buddy of mine, who's a, he was a, he was like a, criminal looking dude you know <laughs> he had the criminal looking look like he had just been out of prison right i mean really that's what it was and he started mad dogging these two guys and then we end up in a fight and then i end up hitting them with a chain but then they end up being cops and they and then i ended up running away and escaping for a day and then like a dumb criminal i end up back in the beverly center and then i got arrested for it and i just that started to be a common thing. You know what I mean? I started, and, you know, and your mom getting... just is, is who she is in LA, just trying to like figure out what to do. Like, that's how come what you, when you said she... like her go-to was to call Yogi Bhajan and you get sent somewhere. Yeah. Like, the only she came... thing. Well, well, what ended up happening is I was, I, I, I was stealing a lot of my supplies <laughs> So I would go into stores, me and my friends would be, we'd rack, we'd boost, we'd, you know, we'd have to get spray paint cans, we'd have to get markers, we would, you know, we would steal all of our stuff. And so what I would start to do is, because my mom didn't want me to leave the religion, and I was living with her, I would, I had this cupboard in the back where the carport was, and I had a lock on it. And I would take my turban off at night or I would, you know, leave upstairs, go in the back, take my turban off, put it in that locker and then lock it up. And then I would go out for the night, you know, kind of, you know, start smoking weed, started drinking, you know, go out, you know, tagging, doing, you know, mischievous things. And then um, and then I would usually, you know, come in a little bit late, put my turban back on sloppily, probably. And you know, my mom knew that I was getting into bad shit you know like sure. she knew that i was experimenting and so then when i ended up in juvenile hall because of that assault she ended up getting me um because she was still in the religion and it was like a weird thing for that those type of people to be in those rooms in a juvenile hall you know like it's just not a common um, place right to see Sikhs so, dressed in all white in the correct in the court. Got so it. i was able to get out i was able to go to like a she got me into like a charter hospital and so i didn't have to be like in regular uh juvenile hall and then i spent like some you know i spent like three months in that thing and then i just i just kept on getting i just kept on getting in trouble like i just had like a lot of shit on my jacket and then um uh, in 1992, me and two of my friends, uh, we were doing well. All of, we were all experimenting a lot with LSD and shrooms, and um, 
we all lived in Hollywood and we were riding our bikes a lot. So we took our bikes down to Venice. And is this you and your friends outside of being Sikh or is this some correct. Sikh friends? Yeah, no, not the, at this point I'm not like, I know the Sikh people, but like I see them a little bit. I might score them some weed. Like some of them wanted to like, you know, they were like, Hey, can you get weed? And I was like, yeah, I, you know, I can get you weed. And I would hook them up with weed and I would see them playing video games, but I was already like kind of anti-Sikh in my head, but having to like play it off for my mom. Cause I was living with her. But that one cupboard where I put my turban, I would also put all my stolen supplies in there. So one day she came, she went in there, or like my stepdad went in there. And that's the other thing. She got remarried and she married like a super dweeby dude. And that like didn't help at all because he was trying to be like a father figure to me. And I was like, fuck you. You get the fuck out seat of here guy. a seat guy yeah he was a Got seat it. guy he was a skinny canadian dude and at that point there wasn't anybody that was going to be you know replacing my dad and um much less a skinny dweeb right 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 so right around when she found all those stolen supplies or they found it she was like oh you're you you gotta leave like you can't be here anymore well i had hooked up with my first girlfriend at that point Got it. we were starting to date and my one buddy was like, oh, you can come live with me. Like just, you know, and his mom brought me in and all that stuff. And then I ended up living with my girlfriend and her family for almost like her, our whole relationship, like six, seven years. Okay. Um, I ended up, they, um, well, trippy story, right? I, I was a skater and I got into, you like the chili peppers? You like the chili peppers, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm in New Mexico and this one dude's like, he's like, ah, oh, he's like, take these tapes. He's like, I don't like these guys. And it's the Chili Peppers. And I'm like, oh shit. I was like, I want to listen to this. And it was skate music. He's like, they were very crossed into the skating scene, you know? And so I loved it, listened to it, became a Chili Peppers fan. I get to fucking Los Angeles, start dating this chick. And she's the goddaughter of the manager of the Chili Peppers. So literally like, I'm draw and like it was just weird. Like I was just like seeing like skaters that I saw in the magazines, but I was watching them skate in real life. Wow. You know, like they were doing all these huge wall rides and ollies and fucking airs. And I was like, just two years ago, I was in India, like like watching this dude in a magazine, and now I'm sitting here and I'm like watching them do the exact like what he was doing in the magazine. It was so rad, you know, and. uh yeah, I ended up with that um, with Katja and her family, um, and that was probably the most nurturing, Stable. most accepting six, seven years of my life. Um, wow! They they ended up taking care of. Uh, I ended up. Um, what ended up happening? Oh, so no, wait. So we the Venice story. That's where I was we we got down to venice and we took um my girlfriend went on a she went to this school called crossroads and they were going on a vision quest that was part of their graduation so she went up to ohi on this like vision quest right and so me and my, my boys we took off and I, I think i got some money from a settlement so i had money to spend and i was like all right i'm gonna buy a bunch of acid for us and we're gonna take acid and so take acid at Venice Beach, right? 
we drive around the canals for a little bit and the shit's not hitting yet. So I'm like, let's go buy some more, buy some more. At that point, I had taken like five hits and I think my boys had taken three hits each. And we start riding our bikes north up the beach. And uh, along the way, um, a few things happened. Like we smoked a joint and then we came up to this, uh, this weird um, RV that was all like old and decrepit. But I, I was probably on acid and it was like more old and decrepit than I thought. Or, or right. I mean, when you're on hallucinogens, things are different. And as I like explored into this RV, the guy that owned the RV comes in and he's like, what are you doing in my house? Get out of here. And I run out, I jump on my bike and I cruise across fucking PCH and cars are honking at me. And we get on the other side and we're riding our bikes and we're all fucking just zinging fucking hard. Right. And then all of a sudden I get up to, there's this place in on PCH that people know it's a chart house. It used to be chart house. It's different now though. And there's a dog barking. It's German shepherd. He's barking, barking, barking. We're across the street. And then we like cross back across. So now we're going South down PCH and the dog, as we're crossing, as we're, going right by the dog it's barking louder and louder and it starts reminding me of um terminator right and then i say cujo no it starts reminding (laughs) me of terminator and then like i just got this weird like i just started having a bad trip i started getting into like a bad headspace different things that had happened uh you know to me probably over my whole life Right. Probably Mm. the insecurity that I felt just as a human being, being on this earth, put me in a position to think that people were staring at me and judging me and look at him and what is he doing? And, you know, at this point I had my shirt off, I had my hair down. So I had like super long hair from being a Sikh. Right. And I was just riding my bike, cruising down, getting into fights with people Along the way, some guy pulled out a machete on me. And then finally, like I was staring like at this guy with a on his bike and and uh, I kicked his bike and that guy called the cop and the cop shows up and we get into a big fight. Me and the cop. We end up going head up with each other. Like I literally I'm boxing with a cop and there's like a, people all around us watching this fight go down, right? I could see his moves before he's even doing anything. I'm like picking him apart, right? Mm. As soon as I take his baton away from him, the guy that I kicked his bike, he throws his bike at me. When I turn to look at him, I turn back at the cop. He shoots me and hits me two times in my stomach. One of them went through my arm, and then the third bullet went through my arm up here and hit me down. And then I woke up out of being shot, and I was, like, in a in a war zone, right? Like, there's helicopters and sand flying everywhere, and there's people, you know, it just sounds like chaos. And I'm, I'm feeling like a fish out of water. I'm feeling like I... You know, like I'm almost not supposed to be here anymore. 
you know, and like I probably had like a a transitioning experience, you know what I mean? I, pro I probably shouldn't be here, but because I took so much acid and the strychnine, it, it, it like stabilized my life, you know? And also I think, so, so this is a weird, this is funny. And then the Sikh religion comes into this. So in such a big way. And so, um, I wake up and they, um, they, they're trying to handcuff me, but I'm still, I still got energy in me. I'm still fighting them, you know? They're trying to put my arms behind my back and I'm just like, nah, you're not going to do it. You're not going to fucking put your hand... I'm not going that way. Because I was resisting arrest initially. That's how I got into the fight because he wanted to arrest me. As soon as he grabbed me, I was just like, I flipped out, you know? So I, st I held on for a little while and then they finally got me handcuffed in the front. I passed out. And I woke up again in the in the uh, ambulance, and there's a man sitting over me, and I busted like they put you in a um, they put you in a uh, pressure suit when you get shot. They put you it's like you know when you they put a pressure around your arm to get your pressure. Well, yeah. they put you in a whole suit to keep your body from releasing all the blood, right? Oh. I busted out of this suit. I, I fucking you know like I like busted out of it. And the guy, I just remember his face. He looked like a, he just looked like a, he looked like a fucking cute ass walrus. That's what he looked like, right? And he's like, hey man, he's like, you gotta chill. He's like, you're gonna be okay. You gotta, and he pushed me back down and I like passed out again. And I woke up in the hospital and the nurse, you know, she's like, you've been shot. You were, you know, blah, 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 blah. You, you know, you went through surgery. I pass out again and I wake back up and my mom's there and she's, uh, She's washing my hair, right? Like I got, I got sand and, and blood all in my hair. And, um, <clears throat> it had been a couple days that I'd been passed out and like the surgery and all that stuff. And <clears throat> I didn't know, but they had gotten together. My mom had gotten all my friends together and they had, um, they had like a prayer circle for me. And they all sat there and, um, did some Sikh prayer, you know, like all my friends that like my new graffiti gang friends, you know, like all the, the people that cared about me at this point in my life, they all, um, they all sat there and just did what my mom told them to do. Cause they wanted me to live. Right. Wow. And so, um, I end up, I end up getting sent to, uh, like a, a, a jail ward, where uh, I spent like two weeks up there and they were about to send me to, uh, they were about to send me to a regular county jail where I, I mean, I was open like a fish, right? Like my whole stomach was like, I don't know if you can see it, but see that right there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, and like I mean, it was, at that time it was like this big, right? It was wide open and, and all the homies are all like, oh, they're going to send you to county. Fuck, you're going to get, you know, you're going to get fucked because you're going to, they're not going to take care of you. They're not going to look after you. You're going to get staff infection and this. And I'm like, oh, fuck, my life is going to suck right now, right? And so I'm walking out. I have an IV and everything. I'm still like, you know, not able to hold myself up. And I'm waiting in line to go to the county jail. And then uh, 
they call my name. They're like, White Crow, you're released. And my mom had hooked up with my girlfriend and her whole family at that time. And because her family was connected in Hollywood and they were like, uh, um, they knew people, right? They had a really good friend named Peter Ross. And Peter Ross was like a kick-ass lawyer and he took my case and and he literally went in there and because he was so connected in the Santa Monica courts, he ended up, I ended up, well, the judge took leniency on me. He gave me 500 hours community service working with the police, right? And um, I went to I went I went to Santa Monica College. I did all the right things. I got work. I had a family around me, people that loved me. Like they saw that like shit was different, and like that I didn't deserve to like go back to jail for this thing, right? And so um, I ended up um, I ended up working at this substation where the cops and the firemen worked. And as soon as I showed up, they knew who I was because my case was like on the news. It was like people knew about this whole, like it, that day two men had gotten shot one mile from each other at the beach. He had gotten, the other guy had gotten killed and he that guy was friends of in my circle too. Like, wow. we, and, they, and he looks like me. Wow. Like people that knew him, they're like, you look like John so-and-so. It's a trip. Like people nice. have like seen me and been like, like one of his best friends was like, the dude looks like John. And then they'll tell him, yeah, he got shot that same day right up the beach from him. And he survived. Wow. And, you know, John killed, you know, got, you know. Wow. So the cops took me in over there. I really like if it wasn't for those couple cops that like took me in and they were just like treated me like a regular person, I would probably be even more pissed at the, at the authority. Right. But these two guys and everybody there was to kind of like, they're like, Hey, come on, have some coffee with us. Oh, you don't have to work. We'll, we'll, we'll cover your hours. They would always sign off, you know, eight hours, 10 hours for me, but they would make me work like two hours. They were like, eh, you don't have to do all that. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll take, we'll take care of you. And then um, I ended up, uh, fuck, after I got married, I, um, well, I'll go back. After I got married, I ended up living in, in Copville. I mean, all my neighbors were all cops, right? And like, even my, my one friend across the street, Tony, who moved up to Idaho, he knew the cop that shot me, you know? And the cop that shot me, like I became friends with him. Wow! It was a weird turn of events. He got, he got, he got, he got, he got sent to my neighborhood, where where the Sikh neighborhood was, and he rode a bike. He was a bike cop, and then he would, he would get his bikes fixed. The cops would get their bikes fixed at my bike's shop, and then all my homies at the bike shop. They would be like, oh, what happened? You got shot. And I was like, yeah, that dude, like he that had a guy. picture on his wall. And I was like, that guy shot me. <laughs> and then they would they would barb at him when they he came in. They were like, why'd you shoot our friend? Like, that's wrong. Da, 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 da. And I'd see him, you know, like I'd run through a yellow light and he'd be with his partner. And I'd be or I'd run through a red light in my bike and I'd be like, hey, what's up, Miss Morena? You know, I was like, it became, uh, I think, uh, 
I tried to call on him because I, I got caught on a weed case in 2000 and I tried to get him to come to my defense, but it didn't work because he was kind of like on his way. He was still working for the, for the County and he couldn't do it, you know? And then after I got out on that case, I saw him and I was walking with my then to be wife. We were going to the Hollywood bowl and he's like, Hey, what happened to you? You know, and now this is like, you know, like early 2000s. And it's been 10 years since he shot me. But he was in the hospital that night crying. He wasn't like one of these dick cops that was like, oh, whatever. I shot this kid and he deserved it. He was really compassionate about mm. what had happened. And that really struck a big ner- chord with me when I, w- when I knew that he was in the hospital. I was like, I don't, I don't hate him. Mm. I don't hate him. And he didn't hate me. And it was just a bad situation that, you know, went wrong and we just made the best out of it, you know? So I think that's what survivors do, right? We make the best out of every situation, you know? Yeah, and become better, you know? And I just hear so much of that in you of of just different stages of your recognition around like, yeah, I'm not going to be like that. Being the man as big as I am, as strong as I am. I'm a protector or just different stages. Yep. Like, you know, I can't hate this person because they, they're ex- showing such compassion. Another thing you said that's really stood out is that you intentionally have surrounded yourself by people that are good, loving people that you've created this nurturing, whether it was your fellow graffiti crew, whether it was those early friends that your mom had chanting around you, like these yep. solid relationships that you didn't get to have during those religion, Sikh religion days, but you absolutely fostered as you move forward in your life. Yeah. And and I, you know, I, I sometimes regret not keeping, I think I was so just, I was so over the religion at the point when I left it that I felt like I needed to kind of like distance myself from the whole thing. And I like sometimes I I I chair I I look at my sister and she has relationships with all those pe- a lot of those people that but she like I I don't know I don't I I think I had a lot of uh, I think I developed a lot of distrust with the people that I was going to school with the friends though that's that group of friends I didn't trust them after those few years in India, I, I didn't trust anybody anymore. And, and I, and I'm, I'm like that today. I'm not like, I mean, I explained to you, my buddy said like, you're trusting until, until the first, the, the first time somebody does me wrong. I'm like, cause I would never do that to you. I would never do you wrong, you know? And I would never try to go out of my way to like hurt your feelings. And why would you want to do the same to me? You know? Sure. And so, you know, it's a trick, but that's a tricky friendship is a tricky tricky wall to climb you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like everybody's trying to extract something from a friendship and it's all different you know so um did you always maintain a close relationship with your mom and your sister uh yes yes me and my sister have always been close um i think we've always been close the whole time through i think more after india I think probably after I got shot, you know what I mean? I think that, you know, the, the concept of almost being lost or, 
or, or being lost to your family and then your family losing you, that's a, a super great point to like start to reconnect and like, you know, make sure your wiring is all good. Um, I would say with my mom, I think we have a, uh, we have a great relationship. I think I would say definitely around when my kids were born, a lot more question marks, a, a lot, a lot more questions came up in my mind about her motives. How, what was she thinking? You know what I mean? Like, I, I you know, the, in no time amongst having my kids the last almost 20 years, would I ever think of sending them somewhere? Like what kind of like, that's just, I, 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 but I, but I, you know, I didn't sign up for religion the way that she did and, and religion can do, make you do funky things, you know? Um, I'm not a religious guy these days. I'm kind of, you know, uh, I wouldn't say I'm an atheist. I'm not an agnostic. Um, I'm more, I follow maybe, maybe along the lines of the natives, you know what I mean? The native Americans and just kind of, you know, um, a big creator and, and nature is our, uh, is our universe right now, you know, and what we're surrounded with is, um, um, is, uh, just the, the beautifulness of what we're surrounded with is our, is our heaven, right? Like we're, we're here living it in the moment. You know, there was a time cause my wife is Jewish. There was a time where I was kind of thinking, I was like, Oh, maybe if I, if, if I did that, like we would become closer, you know, but I ended up not doing it. Right. I ended up like going against it. And, but her, her rabbi at the time, because my kids went to um, school, the rabbi gave me this book and it was, um, I read the preface and it was talking about religion and it said, um, it, it, it explained religion as a bottle that shattered into a million pieces a long time ago, or no, that humanity was a bottle and that uh, it shattered into a million pieces and all the different pieces are religion, Right. Uh, everybody's part of a different religion and and until that bottle comes back together and the religions are all in cohesion with each other that will not that humanity will not be one right and i mm -hmm. thought that was really fucking cool and i was like hey i was like i don't have to join any type of religion to have solace you know what i mean like i don't like yes. i can i can i can be on this earth and be happy just existing and and learning and passing on knowledge and that's our that's what we're supposed to be about you know yeah, and, and being the creator that you are right which yes. is is so brilliant which i do want to swing back to before we wrap this up is um yep. as um the the coming into your your real name coming into your anger tag name and coming into being a graffiti artist I know it happened around the time that you went from New Mexico into LA and you were in LA and it sounds like you were 17, 18, 19, getting Correct. into it. And then around this time you got shot is not too long later. That's like 21. So yeah, 20, uh, yeah, so, I was like 20, 21. Yeah. So just kind of, it sounds like those are really formative years where that transition and, and the, 
get finding your artistry and becoming a tag artist. And if you want to speak to any of that, because it really, it sounds like this is who you are today. And, and that those early years prior to this um, getting shot were foundation years that really has, has served your identity. Yeah. Um, well, first and foremost, my graffiti crew, which is called CBS or can't be stopped was, was founded in at Hollywood high in 1984. Right. And I joined in 1988. And when I joined, um, there was a guy named skate and he was, he was my mentor. He was the guy that was running the crew at that time. And he was, he was just a fucking great guy that had kind of grown up in a difficult situation and been homeless himself in Hollywood. And, um, but he brought together all these different kids that needed a place to be. Right. And, um, what we started, what we joined, what I joined in 1988, we created something really special at that time. And, um, Unfortunately, Skate would would get hit by a train in 1993, and that would, with me being shot in in 1992, and then he was kind of like, he he took a bunch of acid when I got shot because he wanted to feel the way that I was feeling, because he just wanted to like get into my headspace, I guess you know. But we um. We had a really, I mean, he had a great relationship with people. When he got hit by the train and he was taken from us, it was like, it was like one of the, like the biggest losses that I've ever had. And it kind of, at that point, if I needed to exit the building, I should have exited the building because that was a perfect time to do it. But I kind of took on the responsibility of leadership. I started formulating my own meetings and bringing people together instead of people, you know, a lot of times in death, people will separate from each other and, and kind of um, distance from each other. And I, and I tried to do the best I could to bring people together. And I just started doing, trying to emulate what I saw him do, try to be the best <clears throat> sounding board for the for the people that were my friends at that time. And then um, I started to recruit younger guys. We, we started to have such a big name at that time. We were, my crew was in all the graffiti magazines at that time um, and we were kind of the talk of the town. So like in that sort of sense, then once you do something that makes you, makes the light shine on you, yeah. people are always going to want to come and be part of that light. Right? right. And so part of my job then was to be an ambassador for the crew and a mentor the way that skate was and the way that maybe, uh, maybe that I wish that other people had done for me. Yes. Right. Yes. I wish that other people had been more like, like, I think if Papa Joe was like 
a really like he if he should they he should have had more leadership because his way of thinking was a lot more cool, calm, and collected. Where like Siri Narongkar was like a fiery like just like we're gonna do this this way, you know. Like I just uh, sorry to mention that, but like that's what leaders do. And I I wouldn't say I was always the best leader because I'm an emotional person, but I, I I stayed consistent in doing it, and I. Over the decades, over the last three decades, I've been able to um, create or 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 maintain our legacy and add to our legacy throughout the years. Which next year will be our fortieth fortieth year in that we've been around, and I think to last for that long is miraculous you know and one of the things that i took from being from cbs was the name can't be stopped it was such a mantra that helped me when i was coming through that transition coming through all that like negativity and all these people doubting me i even remember steering the wrong car because i would uh i would wear my hair down but i i hated it just in a ponytail. I liked it really uh, braided. So I would always go to like different girls that would like my sister or different, like my friend's sister and they would, people would braid my hair. Right. Like I would, it would always be my thing. I would call people and they would braid my hair. And I remember our, my graffiti crew was not that big of a deal at that point. And I remember seeing the wrong car, like making a comment and be like, wow, he's, I don't see you guys around. I don't, I don't know who are you guys, you know? And I was like, all right. I was like, one day you'll see, you'll see motherfucker. I was like, we're going to be the biggest fucking graffiti crew you ever fucking heard of, you know? And if that You're- dude looks up, graffiti, if he looks up graffiti and he looks up my name and he looks up, can't be stopped. We're all over the, we're all over the country. We're we just opened our first chapter in Australia um, we're in in the in Europe. We're all over the place. We've done, you know. I mean, we we're on Jeopardy. We're on Jeopardy. We're a fucking question on fucking Jeopardy. I mean, come on, you Hell know. Yes. Hell yes. Uh, yeah. It really, you know, it, it came full circle for me when I got to be part of my graffiti crew. That was like, like I was like, all right, like I'm this. I got this name, and I gotta like, even though it's an aggressive name, I'm gonna use it for good. And it's been it's been tough, you know what I mean? Because a lot of times I'll I get caught up in am I really becoming my name? Mm. Of like and like like uh, sometimes it, I want to know if I'm if I'm crossing the line and I'm bringing a character into my normal life, right? Mm. And like sometimes I'm like, hey, I can't be this person to my kids. I can't be the same person that I am on the streets to my wife and my kids, I've had to like learn how to be a more calm person and not let myself. And it's hard. It's, it's almost impossible. I mean, I've, you know, I I, I could, I've tried a lot of things and I've done a lot of work on myself. I've gone to a lot of, into a lot of therapy, emotions get the best of you you know, and, and your emotions are part of your trauma and the trauma that you went through isn't even all the trauma that you're, what about family trauma? Generational. Generational Generational. trauma. Yeah. 
Like there's times where I think, cause I'm native American. I like, I try to correlate. I wonder if in somewhere in my lineage, my great grandfather, they got sent to a boarding school and I assimilate boarding the boarding school that I went to as like, am I living his somebody's trauma from my family? And I was, and that's why I went through that experience. Like I correlate them sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, I'm like, Oh, that's weird. And not only that, but also to add to it that the 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 anger that you might have come into this body with wasn't just those experiences you've had to endure personally, but it can right. also be generational anger. It can be right. many. And th this is neuroscientific where they're talking about epigenetic trauma is is, yes. is the generations that are passed through the mother line through the womb. And so when you speak of you know, Native American erasure, the amount of indigenous slaughter, removing of the names, removing of God, relationship to yep. the land, relationship to family, you know, your reaction. And one of the things about your reaction inside the Dharma, where a lot of people's coping strategy was the opposite, right? They became yeah. more timid or they used the yoga to be the perfect yogi or they used the Sikh religion to be the perfect Sikh. And yep. you just started feeling that anger, right? But it was unacceptable in that culture. And so one thing I'm really kind of in awe a bit about your story here and telling mm -hmm. is your willingness to just be done. Like, fuck y'all, fuck this, fuck everyone. And then you just went to the next thing. Now, it-, it Wait, wait, wait. But you, we braid my hair real quick. But wait, my hair, then fuck you. Love that because this is somewhat how the, the trauma bonds of the kids of our community came together is not everybody was friendly. There were the cliques, there were definitely the age segregations, as you spoke yeah. about. But that yeah. last commentary you talked about, Siri Narankar, talking about your. Uh, your graffiti crew, this is in the LA time, right? Because you're already yeah. in the graffiti crew and now you're kind of getting that same bully culture is still showing up in LA amongst all of the, some of those people were kind of on the outskirts oh, yeah. of 3HO, but they were living together. And some people were still on full seek. Some people were, were working at the ranch and we're talking about an age group of these kids that were 18 to like 21 ish. They didn't really know what they were doing. Prob, my brother was a part of that. My younger brother, right. or my other brother, Kieran, was living in L.A. at the time. Uh -huh. um, Sangeet was there. I mean, there's all these guys. So I guess I'm pointing out that you've really painted quite a picture for us, even though you were on, you were choosing quite young to be on the outskirts of that. And you created solid relationships because within Can't Be Stopped, you actually experienced real friendship real mentorship, real yes. leadership, real yes. loyalty. Even if that loyalty was coming from, from gang culture, from what's considered gang culture, if they put graffiti artists in that category, which we know has roots to hip hop culture. But I'm pointing this out because here in Sikh Dharma, 3HO, Kundalini Yoga, the relationships were Lord of the Flies, competition, nobody trusts anyone, while the veneer is white and pure and yoga and the Sikh religion and all these mystical stories of this is the right way to live. Right. Meanwhile, you go find gang culture, graffiti culture, whatever music that moved you, which was the antithesis of Sikh Dharma, and yep. you find real connection. You find a family 
and relationships that actually show up and nurture you to experience, huh, I can choose who I surround myself by and they're going to be good people. Yep. You know, and it just, it really stands out. It, it sounds that your trajectory is just so beautiful. And and I just want to so say, much. I honor I your that. voice and your story here and also your willingness to just self-examine your willingness yeah. to be like, I don't want to do that. Like I realize this persona is a part of me and I see how I transferred in other parts. Like that's you still growing right now. And, and it's, again, it's beautiful. I like it. I like growing. Every, I mean, I think it's our job to grow every day. And I think, you know, a lot of times people, um, one of the things I've learned is that you can't always just hold on to all your old friends and making new friends and meeting new people is like the primary greatest thing that we can do in our, in our lives as humans is to reach out and touch people. Right. And like, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a very social person and I probably on an average every week I make at least one or two new friends, you know, cause I walk into a bar and, and Hey, how you doing? What's up? Oh, and I just start conversation and, all of a sudden you're talking about something and oh, you got property next to you. All right, cool. Like I, I'm looking for property too. And you become friends, you know, and like, I really love and cherish that. And I think people should spend more time focusing on new relationships instead of repairing all the old ones and all the old ones, you know what you're going to get out of them. Yeah. It's your best friend. Yeah. You've known them since, but does he lift you up? Does he fucking carry you the way that you need to be carried? Because you're not the same person you were when you were 15 years old. You're a 40 year old man. You're a 45 year old man. You need to be, you know, you need different things in a friend at that point in your life, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's one of the things that I, that I look at in friendships and gaining friendships and, and, you, and, you know, a lot of times being in my position because I'm a leader in a, big graffiti crew like friendships are a luxury you know what i mean as a because i i have to make decisions that don't require friendship you know what i mean it's nothing you're to do with position, you're in a position of leadership and you're guiding something leadership i'm trying to I'm, than any individual relationship right i'm trying to like i'm, I'm running the graffiti crew oh, okay this person's not doing graffiti well he's a great guy but if he's not painting graffiti then we're here for this one purpose to paint, to do graffiti. We're not just a social crew, you know? And so those are, that's always tough. You know what I mean? I had, like, I was just telling a buddy of mine when I was on the phone with him, I was like, man, I hate losing friends. I wish I could have all the friends that I had throughout all the years, but like relationships are fucking tough. You know what I mean? And you can't always make everybody happy when you're trying to push boat in the, in the, in a certain direction, you know, you got a whole ship to worry about. You can't just worry about, well, this guy's, you know, he's feeling cold and left out. It's like, all right, we'll go somewhere where there's warmth, <laughs> you know, like you can't always be there. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just being a dick about no, things. You just, and maybe... it can't be all things to all people. That's what yeah. I'm really saying. And there's different roles you play at different places. And, um, yeah. um, but yeah, I guess as a child also of this community, um, and and not having gone to India and with diff very different experiences, um, right. I can't say I've always had deep, loving, trusting relationships. These are things I'm starting to realize about myself, and some. So it's right. something I really hear as I listen to your story. Um, in in just like whoa, you know, one was I don't need to have a religion to find solace. Um, yeah. 
and that one of the ways that I've kind of witnessed you having done this is a lot through your own purpose. Finding art, finding your tag name, finding your crew has brought led to lots of purpose, which has helped you to keep self-examining and determine and and that's you know, creativity for creativity's sake is different than trying to be a productive, I want to create this to sell this, right? And so yeah. you out of this place of your expression has come community, connection, culture, opportunity, and and all of that, I think, can teach all of us something listening in that this yeah. is a part of how we heal. It's what I've learned in trauma-informed therapy is this is a part of how we heal, what you're talking about. Find new friendships, yep. right? Have creative outlets that support who you are, that support your emotional release. Anyway, it's just been great talking to you. I just it's really been great it. talking to you. Also, I'm sorry if we went a little bit over an hour. No, 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 we I go don't, well I, over. When an you hour told me that, hours. I was like, that is not even in my in my stratosphere. It's such uh, a one lie. hour of conversations. It's, it's such a lie. I've never had one at one hour conversation. I was, on I was like, podcast. how can you do one hour podcast? I was like, it's a lie. Hard. We do three yeah. hour podcasts, so we've actually kept it quite short to get today. I know, um, right? I feel like we've covered a lot of territory, so I think it's just been excellent. We always just go as long as it needs to go um yep i want to just wrap up by saying is there any last thing you want to speak about your own story or that you want to speak out to uh survivors of this 3ho community um or fellow peers or anything last you want to say yeah um man i i you know i wish i would have known more in in a lot of ways about about some of the abuse that I'm sure not so much the guys, but more of the women that had to deal with um, the the type of shit that the type of people men are sometimes, you know, and I'm sure that was like a tough thing for women to deal with being in that religion, because I know that it's just a tough thing, a tough dichotomy anyways. Right. And so I think that's one of the things that I regret the most is like, I, I don't know. I, I think I, I'm always like an action oriented person. So I would always like want to protect people and want to make sure that people were feeling good. And like, you know, nobody should have to, you know, if, if religion is supposed to make you feel good, then why the fuck did I feel so shitty all those years, you know? And it's not, it's not the religion. It's the people that were running it. You know, it's not, you know, again, Sikhism is a beautiful, beautiful religion that millions of people love and adore. And the and the, the American Sikh community tarnished that in such a big way. And I hope that there's some type of healing that can happen um, in, in, in some sort of sense. And I don't know what that is really, you know, but I know that, you know, I know that there's still people that are part of the Sikh religion and I hope it's better for them now. And I hope there's better leadership and more accountability. Um, but, you know, doing anything large takes a lot of, it, it, there's so many moving parts. There's so many ways for things to kind of break down, you know? And, and I just know that from like running my crew, like, when I when I started getting up into 150 members in my crew, it started a lot more problems started happening. When I had a crew of like 70 people, 
it was manageable, you know, and like, and then the problems just keep on and people are doing things that they shouldn't be doing. So I think, yeah, I think there was just a breakdown of, of, I don't know. We, we got a raw deal. We got a raw on, deal. We got a raw deal on the people that ran the program in India for the most part. I mean, that was like, like, I don't know what was going on in the States. I don't know about any, too much of the like, stuff that was happening at ashrams and stuff like that. I mean, most of my, you know, like I jammed out a lot, so I would have to be, I would have to delve into all the, uh, all the, I guess I would have to listen to the podcast to know more about it. Right. I mean, there's a lot of inside. <laughs> there's a lot of, in, a lot of this podcast we've had are people's individual stories. So some, some people reveal certain things based on their story, but there are definitely but they're not a lot all of from people- India. Right. Not at all. Not at all. And then yeah. a lot of them are later stages. So one of the things that I think has been most profound, at least for me to witness, has been that, you know, from the year 2000s forward, 2015 right. forward, the amount of replication of the early abuse almost to a T that happened in the later decades that continue to happen now, like it's so replicated, it's it's like a franchise. And oh, they got better. They got better at doing it the wrong way. It's all and it's perfected and it's perfected and then normalized utilizing the Sikh religion, utilizing yoga, utilizing all these things that have created legitimacy, even Mm. though what the academics and what the articles and what the research has now been debunking is that none of it ever had legitimacy. YB's story never had legitimacy, any of it. So, of course, the people he puts in leadership, no matter what positions of leadership they held, whether it was Nanadev or Sisaki Palkar so and so he's moving them around like check checkers oh, yeah. and they're dealing with their own complex trauma and their families and and anyway this is why i find the listening so valuable because it's yeah. like a tapestry of a puzzle and everybody's right. story adds to that puzzle and how we extract ourselves recover if we ever do is completely such a unique tale, but we all have our different coping mechanisms and we all have our survival strategies. And then some of us just never even noticed any of it until 2020 happened, where people like you and other people were like, fuck this decades ago, you know? And so it's such an interesting amalgamation, but the common thread is that there's a lot of good hearted people that have been fucked over for many, many, many years. And that that theme continues because as much as they've used the religion, that's what culture indoctrination does. You know, right. cults have a formula. They do usually legitimize themselves through a religious entity. Ours happen to use the Sikh religion, where most right. of them are using fundamentalist Christian. A lot are using, some can use TM, some are using the Moonies. Like, they're all these different branches. So if I've learned anything in the last couple of years, it's like, whoa, cultic studies helps us. Because yes. the more we can see ourselves within a framework, as opposed to thinking it's so unique or special or something even to be figured out. Like, I hear you, like, those people got a raw deal, the adults, but the yeah. kids did because those adults were traumatized. And now traumatized people are leading traumatized people. Oh, God. Impacted trauma. Terrible. And, you know, talking about Nanak Dev, like, what happened to his kids? And it's just like on and on the ripple effect. Right. But what stands out to me is what happened is, to his kids? Just that, A, they're dealing with neglect because he's now in charge of all of these other kids. So where does his attention go? His attention is going outward. So he, you know, the relationship of his own children disintegrated. 
they had their own traumas because of his distance as well as you know his behavior but there are yeah. other people that had wonderful beautiful experiences with that family and they weren't a part of those abuse years they had beautiful experiences in germany with them once they moved there so that's what makes this web so complex is one person's predator mm. is somebody else's savior at a different right. stage in the timeline like so i have a uh I have a really good friend. His name's James Hopkins. And I met him in the early 90s when I he was a chiropractor. And my, my then-girlfriend and her family used to go to him. And he used to do the chili peppers and all that stuff. And uh, we've maintained a friendship throughout all the years. He's in the art world, so we cross lines in that area. And as I was telling him about the Sikh stuff... And, you know, the um, the reparations, all that type of stuff. He started telling me the story about he's like, hey, you know, you know, I was friend with um, the Siri Singsob's son. Uh, I forget his name at this point. Well, there's Ron Beer or Cole Beer. So the older I think it's Ron one. Beer. Yeah. yeah that was the older and one. so and uh, I mean, Jamie's like a little bit older than me. I think he's like 65. You know what I mean? So he was he was around and hanging out with Ron Beer. I think it was Ron Beer singing. And, and uh, he, what did he say to me? He's like, I never wanted to tell you this. You know, I always knew you had that, like, you know, that religion, that you had that background. And, but I never wanted to tell you this story. He's like, I was hanging out with Ron Beer sing one night and we were, they were smoking weed and, you know, drinking and all this shit. And, and uh, he's like, he's like, he just starts telling me about his dad what a fucking piece of shit his dad is. And then his dad fucking said to him one day, he's like, he's like, you know, uh, he's like, he said something about, you know, you know, you know, what's the most important thing? Or he said something about money being God. That's what it was. I'll get the exact wording and I'll text it to you. But it was so fucking weird. Like that his son was telling my homie and in this like innocent area right about like what a piece of shit his dad was and that his dad like uses his religion to fucking make money and to fucking have power over people and his dad admits it to him and says it to him you know he's like yeah money is god like something like that it's like money is god don't believe anything else nobody else is powerful money is everything you need to make money to be anything in this world and that was his fucking that's the guy that was running this whole religion was all yeah. just doing it just to make some money you know yeah, he's dealing arms trick. yeah dealing arms I mean, dealing drugs dealing gems dealing fake fraud businesses that you can yeah. not get in karma on the phone dealing right? in people's hearts dealing in, in stealing people's humanity and the humanity of children right and then you girls. got all these and isn't it like a lot of Sikh people like still defending him though? i mean there's, there's like a, a whole, whole section of Sikh called the, i forget what they're called the uh they call them the yo the pro yogi budgeon side or something but i just have zero interest and zero tolerance oh, for that whole segment of, of folks because for me it brings me back to this 1985 right. rhetoric and i remember it from when i was eight and i didn't like it then why would i possibly mm. want to hear it now um, so I'm kind of like right, you, exactly. like, God, you were a kid. 
how did people not see this stuff too? You know, and I feel the same way. Like I was 15 by the time I understood there was so much hypocrisy. I had no idea yeah. there was sadistic torture and grooming and abuse in this capacity, mm -hmm. but I definitely knew that there was infidelity and incongruency and they was all full of hypocrisy, right. you know? Yeah. Um, so Crazy. I really, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for bringing your voice and your story here. Um, Most definitely. And I had I a great time. Like a lot of listeners are really going to, love this um lastly before we wrap up i just want to say to listeners that i just find it really profound that um your tag name is anger and, <laughs> um, i find it would be when i first heard it i thought it was profound i find that right. the ability to have an artist tag name whatever that artistry is that you find in the world to be able right. to learn how to access our emotions but specifically our anger from 3HO, we got a tremendous amount of indoctrination against that emotion. And yes. it's built into the teachings. Yogi Bhajan would say a lot of uh, emotion commotion and a lot of Kriyas even. And again, even if you weren't into the yoga or, or you were only into the secret religion, a lot of this stuff was just kind of in the ethos of our permeated consciousness. And so it's affected Correct. all of us, whether or not we understand it. And so just like they played Guru Ramdas chants, and that was supposed to affect our consciousness, you know, repressing emotions, especially one of the most vital emotions, our anger, because our anger yes. is one of the things that notifies our body that something's not right. So it's Correct. a protective emotion. And so one of the things that I've learned in complex trauma healing, because there's layers of emotions that can be charged in us and frozen stuck. And so we might get through layers of it in our teens and then more of it in our twenties and more of it in our thirties. And you have major transformations to access your emotional body. But this right. anger specifically, I just want to remind all of us that it's just okay to have to constantly reignite and re um, invest in your relationship with anger because it's the fire. It's the fire of our creativity. It's one of the healthiest emotions that when we utilize it and let it move through us healthily, yes, it's what we create with. It's where your original life force is expressed through. But when that's repressed, yeah. what happens is, um, and then again, this is in, in trauma theory, like this is how things are showing up in, in trauma informed things us learning what our bodies need to do with our anger is unique to each of us and right. how we do it. And if we don't do that, we blow that pain through the people we love. We just right. do it in ways that don't, we don't call anger or it blows up and then it's a unhealthy form of anger. So one of the books that has helped me to really start um, realizing that every emotion is a teacher and not something that we have to repress is, is a book called the language of emotions. Okay. And I'm, I'm just saying this for listeners. I'll have it in the show notes so you can look at it. And it may or may not be the right stage for you in your healing process. But if it is, and you're wrestling with not even being able to locate what a sensation feels like, there's right. been years and years and years that I can't even recognize what anger feels like in my body. It just showed up as acid, or it showed up as indigestion, or it showed up as right. heat and heat mm. in my stomach or heat in my neck. And these are things I didn't know how to identify that was actually me unconsciously right. learning very young that how to not feel my anger because I learned really quickly, I would be stuffed into to a baby pose if I expressed that emotion. <laughs> so as children, oh, we boy. adapt, right? We yeah. adapt. 
And so all of us have our unique strategies, but this anger, having, a, having an artist come on today that has embodied this and continues to wrestle and struggle with his own relationship to it. And what, of it's course. one of the healthiest things. It shows Thank you're you human much. and it shows you're living your humanness. And I think if any one of us in 3HO and our healing process need anything, it's to recognize we're human. We're not superhuman. We're not here to change the planet. You have the right to feel what you feel, to need what you need, and to be loved by wonderful, supportive people, just as Hell I yeah. shared today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you. And um, keep on. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, no, you can finish. Okay. Uh, keep on fighting the good fight and telling and making sure that this um, that this podcast is here um to spread the goodness right i mean i think that's what i'm trying to do is even though i'm an angry person i'm still trying to spread goodness even though you're dealing with some issues that are um hard to talk about right um you're spread you're spreading goodness because you're you're i mean you're opening my eyes to a lot of things that i'm not even aware of and i love that and I love learning things and you've taught me a lot just being on this podcast. So thank you so, so much. Yeah. And the listening power, you know, a lot of people's lives have been affected by every single person that comes on and tells your, their story. And right. it's, it's what this space is about is that we actually liberate each other by yes. telling our story and we liberate parts of ourselves. We don't even know are trapped because yep. we've created entire personas that didn't need those aspects of us until yep we've created internal safety where those places and parts of us can come out to, to play again. And yeah. this is power. So we help each other heal. And on yeah. that note, tell us why you chose the song or tell us about the song you chose and why you chose it. Um, the song is uh, from a band called Downset and the song is called Anger. And when we, when I was young and in the early nineties, Downset was, um, a band that was a bunch of different graffiti artists from different graffiti crews, and they gained a lot of uh, notoriety. Um, and Anger was like one of their main songs. And like when we would be in the slam pit, everybody knew that I would be the one bringing the energy to the slam pit. You know, it was like my song. And so the song, uh, the song starts out. It goes anger, hostility towards the opposition. Anger, hostility towards the opposition. Anger. Hostility towards the opposite. And then like, and then he goes, anger. And it's just very like, it just describes, I mean, and then you listen to the lyrics and it's kind of, I mean, it's a, it's about living in LA and it's about having, you know, uh, having a tough, you know, childhood and living with, you know, um, police brutality and shit like that, like racism, all kinds of shit like that. Yeah. So that's just one of my, one of my go-to songs. I think when the documentary first came out, like that was the song we were, we were playing when it had my scene in it. And then the rebooted version, I think they couldn't get permission or something like that to use the song. So they put another song in there, but <laughs> yeah. Part right, of cool. you know, well, let's, uh, let's listen to this song and um, yeah. for copyright purposes, we don't listen to the whole thing, but if you want to hear the whole thing, which I encourage, um, click in the show notes and there is an uncomfortable conversations playlist that actually has a song from every episode that we've had so far so awesome. um, download that to get a feel and let's listen to our song downset anger by downset listen. 
There you go. Anger, hostility towards the opposition. 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 y'all don't you miss out on that full song there you because ah, that is worthy the, let him do the lyrics a little bit more now nah, that's cool <laughs> well um, you know they they mute us out on on uh, youtube anyways but oh uh, really but it's just safer for copyrighted purposes and then click the link gotcha. and go listen to the whole thing folks Hell take yeah. that in and also it's just so great to have music that helps us access these places in us that are yes. totally frozen over and it's awesome to have music like that. So thank you. Hell yeah. Thank you All so right, much. Folks. My um, pleasure. Let, oh, let me stop yeah. Me. Let me know when um, you get everything going and then are you on Instagram? Uh, yeah. Uh, hold on. Let me just go ahead and wrap up here. Yep. Um, well, to. folks, I want to just say thank you for listening. And this concludes another episode of the uncomfortable conversations podcast, the untold stories of the three HO Kundalini yoga community. Um, if you'd like to contribute to this broadcast, you know, you can make a one-time or a monthly donation at goodunishan.com. Um, I have both my podcasts up on my website and you can also contact me from my website or email me at gn at goodunishan.com if you would like to be a guest on the podcast and share your story. Um, be sure to subscribe and follow my work at goodunishan.com as well. And also follow my latest media platform called Conversations You Can Feel. Um, most recently, we just uh, launched a, a co-authorship um, and publication of the Under the Yoga Mat um, book, which is The Dark History of Yogi Bhajan's Kundalini Yoga. Um, Els Kunin, who is out of Belgium, transcribed some of the podcasts, um, some of the survivor stories from my podcast, took content as articles and um, lectures of YB from the last 50 years and have put it all together in one book. So if you struggle to help somebody else understand the dark history of Yogi Bhajan's Kundalini Yoga, how Sikh Dharma was used or how Sikh the religion was used to create legitimacy and all the other facts and research that has been done and storytelling that has been done, get that book. It will also be in the show notes because it's here to help us explain that there is a very, very dark history in this community that continues to propagate itself as the yoga of awareness. And I hope you all are catching it by now. KRI and the whole organization are mitigating and trying to limit their legal liability so they can carry on with their money-making activities called Yogi Tea and Kundalini Yoga. And it's not gonna stop. It's not even unique. It's a predatory formula that goes back as far as colonialism and imperialism. This stuff isn't new. It's all over the world, as you can tell but it continues to happen in spiritual spaces. And so this book is really um, to support 
everyone to really understand how spiritual abuse happens like this, how 50 years of child neglect and abuse could go on in the name of consciousness. It's not unique to our community, but it's a formula that's absolutely, absolutely in play today. So that book can help, um, especially people that are still teaching yoga, Get make sure that they know about this. Anyway, thanks for listening. We appreciate you. Rate, re review, and subscribe to the podcast. And we'll talk to you on the next episode.